This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Luke chapter 2 is where we want to go tonight. Luke chapter 2. And strangely enough, this is where Gary was yesterday morning at the carol service in the charity shop. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amen. For electricity to work, there has to be a positive and a negative. For crops to grow, they need the rain as well as the sun. The stars always shine the brightest when it is the darkest. We need cold, heat, winter, summer. There's mourning, there's rejoicing, there's arriving, there's leaving. Well, what in the world has all that got to do with Christmas, you might ask me? Well, it's got a lot to do with Christmas. Well, is not the Christmas story one of shepherds rejoicing and angels singing, Mary praising? It is, absolutely. But if you listen really carefully, you will hear some minor chords in the refrain. You'll see the shadow of the cross. Read carefully and you will feel the pain and the hurt and the tears. We have become so accustomed to the Christmas story that we have romanticized it and sanitized it. But the reality is, it's full of paradoxes. In the tapestry of the Christmas story, there are some very dark threads. On the one hand, the angels announced to the shepherds, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And we joyfully agree, and we sing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Light and life to all he brings. And it's true, it was a great time of joy to all people. A light truly had come into the world. The carols that we sing are appropriate for this Advent season. It's a time whenever we brighten our homes, we put our trees up, we decorate them with sprinkly baubles and all the rest of it. We like our lights, our street lights are gilly lit. And all of this just brightens everything. We light our Yule logs, we get our get-togethers with our family, and we have shared dinners, and we exchange gifts, and we wish each one a Merry Christmas. Yet, yet on the other hand, for Mary and Joseph, 
even though it was an incredible privilege and joy to know that they were going to be bringing the Son of God into the world and to raise him. And yet, Joseph had a struggle. Joseph had a lot of heart searching to do. Because when Mary came and told him that she was with child, and he knew for sure that he wasn't the father, that he really had a problem. And it was the dark night of the soul. And he didn't know what to do. And in the end, he figured, well, I love this woman, but this is not right. But I don't want her to be hurt. And so he decided to put her away privately. It's the best option he felt he had until the angel came and said, this is of the Holy Ghost. This is right. This is God. And then when you think of Mary and how she had the, the pain of pregnancy and giving birth, no easy task for any woman, and particularly a, quite a young woman at that. And not only that, they, they had to go from where they lived to, to Bethlehem. They had to go to the place of their birth because of the decree of Augustus. So to make that journey in her condition was not easy. And then by the time they got there weary and tired of the journey, lo and behold, the whole place was crowded out and all they could find was a, a shelter. And imagine, ladies, having to give birth to your firstborn child in a cattle shed and to place that little child in an animal's feeding trough. How unhygienic, how smelly and dirty would that be? And so that's the reality. Yes, a great time of rejoicing for sure. And yes, their hearts were glad, but the reality was they had a lot of things to go through. The wagging tongues of the village, all of that stuff. And so they were faced with difficulties. And then, imagine when your child reached infancy, you would have to flee from a murderous king who wanted to kill your child. And you'd end up as a refugee in a foreign country where you knew nobody. That would be tough, wouldn't it? At that point, you may be wondering what happened to joy to the world? <laughs> what happened to goodwill to all men? Are you beginning to see the paradox? Do you see the light and shade in the story? Angels rejoicing at his birth. And then a year, 18 months later, a murderous king trying to kill him. Herod wanted to murder all the male children under two in Bethlehem. Matthew 2.18, which is part of the story. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Time of great weeping and loss. Matthew plucked that from Jeremiah 31 because this was the appropriate time to share it. And this 
this Herod was truly a wicked, murderous man. He murdered a wife. He murdered a mother-in-law, two brothers-in-law. He murdered three of his own sons. So to murder a baby would be nothing to him. But he wanted to do it. His son, Herod Antipas, was the one who murdered John the Baptist. He was the one who mocked Jesus at his trial. His grandson, Agrippa I, he was the one who killed the apostle James and, and proceeded to take Peter also. Only Peter escaped because an angel came and released him. And so within this Advent story, which is joy and light and gladness and rejoicing, there's some shade too, isn't there? And if you were Mary, then you may be thinking of what Simeon said to you at the temple when you went to dedicate your child. Luke 3, 34 and 35, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of men in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Imagine for a moment if on a Sunday morning you brought your child to this altar to be dedicated. And imagine if there was a spirit of prophecy came on me and I started to prophesy about your child and says, God says this child is special, that he's going to use this child in the future. He will win many, he will win many people to my son in the future. He will travel the nations preaching the gospel. As a mother and a father, you'd be delighted, you'd be thrilled. <coughs> But imagine having just said that I turn to you as a mother and says, by the way, because of him, your heart will be broken. Your heart will be shattered in a thousand pieces. Your heart will be pained beyond belief. You wouldn't be rejoicing at that point. Sure you wouldn't. That's what happened to Mary. On the one hand, a wonderful reason to rejoice on the other hand, a pain that was going to hit her heart that she had never felt in her life. So you're seeing the light and the shade in this story. Because we sanitize it, don't we? We romanticize it. But the reality is, it was very, very difficult. It was very, very costly. And we, we see this light and shade again uh, in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. 
So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring, him back, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. There's so many things in that passage of scripture that I haven't really time to go into tonight that we've got completely wrong. We assume there was three. The, the Christmas story was always told there was three. It doesn't say there was three. There was three gifts. The assumption is there must have been three wise men. There's an assumption about the star, that it was a literal star. But it wasn't a literal star. It was a special light. Because a star above where the young child lay and if that was the case, any star, you look up into the sky, look at the North Star, it covers the whole Northern Hemisphere. That wouldn't give you much of a clue, would it? So it had to be a special light that they followed. And at one point it disappeared and then came back again. Notice what they brought. The three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the mirror. So here is the, the paradoxes in the Christmas story, the light and shade. One brought gold, a royal gift fit for a king. It's also fitting that Matthew records their visit because Matthew's gospel is the gospel of the king and his kingdom. And you remember the Queen of Sheba when she came to visit Solomon. What did she bring as a fitting tribute to the King Solomon? Gold, much gold, gold of Ophir. And Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here when he lived. And so gold also stands for deity and divinity. At that time, of course, it was the most expensive, the most sought after, the costliest. It was almost priceless, timeless, couldn't defile it, incorruptible, most enduring of all the metals. And so a fitting tribute to a king. It was used in the building of the tabernacle and the temple. It was used in the covering of the ark. It was used in the altar of incense, the golden altar of incense. The mercy seat was one solid block of pure gold. And all those pieces of furniture, much more 
of gold in the tabernacle and the temple. All of it spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ who was to come. And so here's a gift of gold that is fit for a king. One brought gold, one brought frankincense, a gift with which to worship. Frankincense has got a beautiful aromatic aroma. This little bottle of oil I have in my drawer down there at any time if we want to anoint with oil. And I got it in Israel. And one of the ingredients is frankincense. It's a beautiful smell. And so frankincense was used as a gift with which to worship. There's something about worship that touches the heart of God. Whenever Moses, for instance, whenever Moses was building the tabernacle in Exodus 30, verse 34, God told him to make a special perfume. And there was four ingredients, and one of them was pure frankincense. And he was to make this special perfume, and he was to place it in the tabernacle as worship unto God. And nobody else was allowed to have it. It was reserved to worship him and him alone. And so frankincense was beautiful. In Leviticus 24, 7, the 12 loaves, the showbread loaves, again in the tabernacle, had to be covered with pure frankincense. Frankincense was put on the golden altar of incense to cause a sweet-smelling savor to rise up before God, typifying prayer and intercession going up to God. And our Lord Jesus Christ is our great intercessor. He's the one who sits at the right hand of the Father who prays for us. Can you imagine Jesus praying for you? That's his ministry today. That's what he does. And so this gift was a gift with which to worship. One brought myrrh, and myrrh was used in burial. It represents, and here's the shade among the light. It represents death and suffering. In Matthew 15, 23, on the cross, they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh to deaden the pain, and he refused it. He wanted to be fully alert on the cross. And he was fully alert, wasn't he? Did he not speak to the thief? Did he not speak to Mary and to John? Had he been doped up, he couldn't have done that. So he refused it. In John 19, 39, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who came with the body of Jesus to the tomb, also brought with them a mixture of myrrh and aloes, a hundred pounds weight worth to anoint the body of Jesus. And so myrrh often speaks of death and suffering. And Jesus suffered and he died for us, didn't he? So we didn't need to suffer. He suffered and died for our sins so that we don't need to suffer and die for our sins. We die to them. 
Jesus died for them that we might die to them. And so gold for the everlasting king, frankincense for the interceding king, and myrrh for the suffering king. These three gifts are reflected in Mary's Magnificat, Mary's great worship unto the Lord, which he burst forth in prayer and praise. In Luke 1, 46 and 47, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, the ruler, the potentate, the king, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, the only one worthy of worship. My soul magnifies the Lord, the one who is fit to receive gold, the king. My spirit has rejoiced in God, the only one worthy of worship, the one fit to receive the frankincense. And my savior, she said, my soul rejoice, magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoiced in God, my savior. The mare for his suffering, he would endure as the savior. Whenever I had to give her testimony so beautifully yesterday, she made it clear that Jesus is the Savior. And Jesus was Mary's Savior. Even though she was blessed, and even though she was one wonderful woman, but Jesus, her son, was her Savior. And she acknowledged it right here. My soul rejoices, magnifies in God my Savior. And so, for all the turmoil and the pain and the suffering and all the death, there is glad tidings and great joy for the Savior is Christ the Lord. And thank God there's redemption and forgiveness of sins. So when you think about it, the whole life of Jesus was paradoxical. The whole life of Jesus was light and shade. The common people heard him gladly, but the religious establishment hated him with a passion. His disciples swore absolute allegiance to him, but then they all forsook him and fled. The last time he entered into Jerusalem, the people waved their palm branches and shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And just days later, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. These are the paradoxes. This is the light and shade. And here's something else, Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Notice that we phrase, born of a woman. Aren't all men born of a woman? Everybody's born of a woman. But Paul is not just stating the obvious here. He's reminding us of the condescension of Christ. 
He's reminding us that God's Son, the Son of Almighty God, bowed low and came to this earth and entered into the womb of a woman as a little embryo. That's the the condescension of Christ. Born of a woman. Heaven must have been astounded at that. That God would take on human flesh and come and reside in the womb of Mary. Someone has said that Jesus was the only one who was alive before he was born. This is a paradox. He was a man, and yet he was a God. Yet he was God, not a God. He was a man, but he was also God. He had a dual nature. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes of this. Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, the word is morphe, an inner essence. That's what it means. In essence, he's God. And he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, not something to be held on to just for himself, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, schema, in outward appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How in the world do you explain that? You can't. (coughs) This is God and man coalescing together as one. The God-man. And he's still today the God-man. I'm glad he did not divest himself of his humanity when he went back to heaven. He kept that and will keep it for all eternity. He will never relinquish his identity with us through all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? He loves us that much. Think of this, Johnny 18:37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Note that I have come into the world. Don't all men come into the world? Haven't you come into the world? Again, he's not stating the obvious here. He's making us think a little. The difference is Christ came from another world to come into this world. We never existed before we came into this world, but he did. Christ existed before he came to this earth. 
I came into this world. In other words, not like any other person. In John 16, 28, he says, I came from the Father. John 5, 37, the Father himself sent me. I was born his humanity. I came into this world his deity. So we cannot ever get away from the fact that he's human and he's divine. And that's a paradox. How do you explain that? You can't. But it's the truth. Here's another thought. When Jesus was born, he was born immortal. Immortal. And the moment you and I were born, we began to die. Why? Because the law of the spirit of, of death was in us. Was in us from our Adamic nature. So even though we were growing, but eventually, if you live long enough, what's going to happen? You're going to die. You can't avoid it. It's going to happen. Why? Because we're mortal, which means death doomed. It's going to happen. It will take place. But when Jesus was born, there was no law of sin and death working in him. He didn't have the law of sin and death. He never sinned. He was completely, perfectly righteous. And because there was no law of sin and death working in him, he would not die unless and until he allowed himself to die, which he did. Are you still with me here? In John 19, Pilate said to him, Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus said, You would have no power at all against me unless it has been given you from above. In other words, you can't kill me. You have no power to do it. You have no authority to do it. Now, he had authority, the power of the sword, to kill anybody he wanted, but not Jesus. And Jesus was putting him in his place. He was letting him know, hey, you cannot kill me except that has been given you from above. But on your own, you couldn't do it. In John 10, Jesus said, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from the Father. And so, what a paradox. He was a man, and yet he was God. He was born as a human being, but yet he was born immortal because there was no death working in him. And the only way he was going to die is if he gave his life. He showed that, did he not, in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to rest him and he says, who are you looking? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. And they all fell. 
suddenly his power was unleashed, letting them know that you can't touch me unless I willingly give myself. And he willingly gave himself to his captors, didn't he? They led him away. But they couldn't have done that without his permission. And on the cross, John 19.30, finally he said, it is finished. And he bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. When you and I die, we're not going to give our spirit permission to go. It's going to go. It doesn't need our permission. But Jesus is into your hands. I command my spirit. I give my spirit. He was in such control of life and in death, of his own life, of his own death. It may seem like it was the authorities. It may seem like it was the Jews. It may seem like it was Judas the traitor. And to one degree, it was all of that. But the reality was none of that could happen except and until he allowed it to happen. And that was the Father's permission to continue to do that. And so we see in the Christmas story the paradoxes, the light and the shade that followed Jesus right to the very end, right to his final words on the cross. And so as beautiful as Christmas is, as lovely as it is, and as lovely as we enjoy all of the decorations and the fellowship and the times together and the family times, all of that. But when you read the story, it's not all rejoicing. It's not all angels singing. Sure, it's not. There's a time and there's a place for that. But there's also the dark side. There's the pain. There's the hurt. There's the suffering. There's the rejection. There's the cross, eventually. And so let us, over these next couple of weeks as we continue our theme and our thoughts on the Advent story, let's get the balance between the two and let's realize what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk